welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hello, everyone. Today, we are talking about the Supreme Court hearings that went on all last week and maybe doing a little fangirling over Amy Coney Barrett. (laughs) For this, we are joined by our fearless president, Colleen Holcomb. Colleen earned a law degree from Regent Law School and a master's in journalism from Regent University School of Communication and Arts. She has been an executive director, board member, and now president of Eagle Forum. Not to mention, she is an occasional host for the Engage with Eagle Forum podcast. (laughs) Welcome back. Thank you. Great to be with you. We have been watching the Senate Judiciary hearings all week, and I have to say Amy Coney Barrett has some real stamina. The hearings lasted from Monday through Thursday for up to eight hours a day. Each senator on the committee was allowed 30 minutes of questions each day, and sometimes the questions were based on her experience and background. Others were very political. Let's start off with an overview of how you felt, Colleen, as an attorney, with how she conducted herself and how she answered the questions given to her. Oh, wow. Well, I agree with you. This might be a little bit of a, a fangirl time because it, it's so hard to, uh, yeah, to just not be amazed and to not be in awe. It really was like watching your favorite sport and watching someone, you know, one of the best world-class competitors compete mm-hmm. at a sport at which they're not only really excellent, but, but watching that person and understanding that they're a person of integrity and knowing that not only are they incredibly skilled, but they're a person that you can really respect. So she conducted herself with the utmost grace. With, um, Of course, we all saw how articulate, how brilliant she was, uh, but it was really remarkable how um, she showed her judicial temperament, which is so important. Because you know, I'm an attorney, I'm not in court very much, but um, it's so important to have a judge who has the right temperament and who's, who not only has a good temperament, but is judicious in what they say. So it doesn't, not just understands the law, understands how to apply it, but understands how important it is to not react when people are saying things that are, you know, that you might not agree with or that, um, you know, it just, it is really hard to keep your face under control and to to not react in ways that you might want to react, but to really maintain uh, discipline. And she did that masterfully. And, you know, we all saw, as you mentioned, Kirsten, some of the questions really were politically driven. And she, she answered some questions that I think we might all agree were either just stupid or maybe didn't have the best motivation. But she did it in ways that I thought so gracefully, it was like she was really trying to not embarrass the senators. And in doing that, I think she embarrassed them even more and made them look even uh, like what they were doing was even more, you know, just showed how inappropriate it really was. So I thought she did a tremendous job. Yeah, I completely agree. And I've just been in awe watching her each day. You know, I've, I've one of the funny things I've noticed is, um, I, you know how they always do those, um, like when the president first got into office versus like four to eight years later, how he looks and how he always looks older, you know? And so I was thinking about that in her case, like the first day she began the hearing versus the last day she began the hearing. 
she she looks exactly the same but <laughs> you can tell this the senators have been worn down like you're the one they're she's aged them yes that's right yeah, yeah they're they're exhausted and i'm sure they're extremely frustrated so yeah. yes that's a very good point i think you're exactly right yeah and in fact she looked like she was enjoying herself i mean who it who does you know it, it is that is absolutely a, a mental and emotional marathon going through that but every time she opened her mouth, it was kind of, you know, when you, you're waiting for somebody to answer, you think, oh, I hope they don't mess it up or something. After she answered a few questions, I just couldn't wait. I was just so excited to hear about what she was going to say. And I think she probably felt a little exhilarated too, because she well, knows how yeah, once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, how many times does someone get to sit in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee for their own confirmation hearing to the Supreme Court? Well, that's right. And I thought uh, she was asked, I saw twice about why she was doing this and what her motivation was. And, and she said, you know, my husband and I considered what we'd be putting our family through. Um, and it, you know, I, we thought maybe we shouldn't do this because of what it's going to put the children through, but it's because of our children that we realize we need to do this. And she said, why would I back away from this just because it's hard? I've been asked to do it. So why shouldn't I do something that's a hard thing to do, but she obviously knows and without saying it or being immodest, she understands that she really is uniquely equipped to, to do this very important job. So yeah, that's so good. That. As you know, Kirsten and I do not have the extensive legal education that you've had. And um, I, you know, many people who are watching these hearings haven't had that either. And so we, we wanted to see if you could define some terms that have been thrown around during these hearings. We've heard terms like originalist or textualism or severability. That was a big one used over a couple of days over and over. Can you define those and, and maybe more that you think are important and how they reflect on how Amy Coney Barrett has ruled in the past and what we can draw from the conclusions while using those terms? Sure. Well, and I would just say I, I certainly am not a legal expert. And it's really uh, one of the things that I think has been really exciting about this hearing is she has managed to explain some of those terms and explain legal concepts. Uh, this is a gift that Phyllis Schlafly had, that one of the things I loved about her, explain really complex concepts in ways that everybody can understand, which I think is very important for a judge to, to be able to do too. Um, you talked about um, she, uh, Amy Coney Barrett is an originalist and a textualist, um, and there are different, different judges interpret those in different ways. Or, um, but the bottom line is she believes, as did Justice Scalia, for whom she clerked, uh, that it's judge's job to interpret the Constitution and to not go beyond the words as they were written. Of course, you have to consult when you're looking at statutes to determine whether or not they're constitutional. Uh, you have to look at the try to get some understanding of what was meant by those terms at the time it was written. So that can only come from, from legislative history and, and actual history. Um, but so the, um, the an originalist, a textualist, is a judge who, real, who is determined to exercise restraint and not to interpret, to try to add their own interpretation or not to go about judging what they think the legislature meant, but to only um, interpret laws based on what they read in the text. And then if they're wrong, it's up to the legislatures or up to the people through the, uh, the process of amending the Constitution to correct, you know, to correct or to change the Constitution or to change the law. 
um, the, one of the terms you mentioned was severability. That's been a big issue that came up in the, con in the context of the, um, the Affordable Care Act, which is coming up for a review before the Supreme Court. It was interesting that there was a lot of political discussion and a lot of insinuation that she was specifically picked for this seat to eliminate the Affordable Care Act, which is just ridiculous. I've been reading a lot of even extremely liberal jurists and legal analysts who understand that not only is that not accurate, um, as Judge Barrett mentioned, she has she doesn't have any personal animus against the Affordable Care Act. She said what she thinks about it really is irrelevant. Uh, she's going to, or the judges are going to be making a decision about whether or not uh, because the, the law was changed, because the um, individual mandate was taken out of the Affordable Care Act, um, whether changing that one portion invalidates the whole law. So uh, yeah, for severability, I, I think of it, it's easier for me to think in terms of contracts. And there's the concept of severability in a contract. If people come to an agreement about a contract and it's determined that one portion of that contract is is not fair or turns out to be illegal in some regard, should the court invalidate the entire contract? And generally, judges don't want to do that. Courts don't want to do that because they want to. They don't see it as their role to be invalidating legislative acts or people's decisions. Uh, so severability is, it is not a decision about whether or not the ACA is good law. It's just, does it remain intact if you take out one piece of it? Um, even on that one issue, though, even and um, I have not seen anything now it, it might exist where uh, Judge Barrett has ruled on the issue of severability. But right now, based on the, the makeup of the court right now, um, the concept of severability, even if she were to, to opine that that the law would have to be thrown out that um, that the that portion was not severable it would still, she would be in the minority. So this, the notion that if she holds in a certain way, it's really going to impact the court's decision, I think is really false. So it just, it's been a lot of mental gymnastics, I think, to really politicize this issue. And she's made it very clear that to her, this is not a political issue. This is, as Justice Roberts described, um, um, an issue of calling balls and strikes. And that's what she sees her role on the court. That's how she sees it. And really, it should be the Senate and the House being the ones deciding whether or not Obamacare needs to be modified in some way. It's a piece of legislation, right? That's exactly right. Yes, that's exactly right. So really, if, if there are concerns about whether or not Obamacare is viable at this point constitutionally, that really, the legislature should be addressing that issue. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the themes of lots of the hearings were definitely around Obamacare. Why are the Democrats so focused on this issue? I mean, is their fear warranted? Well, the, I don't believe the fear is warranted, but they based their campaigns on fear mongering and fear mongering on that issue has been effective. 
So they know that's an issue that they can, you know, look at some of the ads we're seeing. Now we're hearing once again, as we hear every four years, that Republicans are going to take away Social Security. We know that's not true. They're going to take away Medicare. We know that's not true. And we know that even if if the Affordable Care Act if were to be held unconstitutional, it's not going to mean that people are dying in the streets. And even if it did, which nobody is in favor of that, of course, that's a legislative problem that needs to be solved. It's not it's something that the court can deal with. All the court can say is, is this law constitutional or is it not? Not is it good, not is it effective, not is it addressing the concerns of all the people who were put on display during this hearing. It's com- that all of that is completely irrelevant. Yeah, it seems like they were really trying to get Amy Coney Barrett to make a statement on how she would vote. Um, you know, and, and, and that is their way of trying to create her to be an activist judge, which is weird. Well, it is. That's yeah. exactly right. And it's interesting, Tabitha, you mentioned um, having legal expertise. It really concerns me. I think the American people have a much better understanding of what the role of the judiciary is yeah. than the, I thought, seasoned attorneys who are sitting on the Judiciary Committee. They seem to be asking her to right to express her opinion and to to rule right there when they know darn well that that would be unethical right i found myself googling a lot of times um some of these senators that i didn't know what their background was i'm like they're sitting on senate judiciary which means they've had some kind of legal expertise in the past most of them attorneys and i'm like where's the disconnect here um and and along those same lines I wanted to talk about the Ginsburg rule. Um, so Amy Coney Bear brought that up on several occasions. And the Ginsburg rule is no hints, no previews, no forecasts. Now, Democrats use this against her as she was like, kind of like say, implying that they, she was avoiding the question or not answering the question. But this is really important in her role. And so can you talk about that and why it's, it was appropriate for her to use that during questioning? Absolutely. Well, it was, she, she needs to remain impartial. So she cannot give any, this is not supposed to be a politicized process. Clearly, it always is, it always will be. Um, But she understands because she has respect for the judiciary that the judiciary needs to be impartial. So she should not be signaling to the legislature how she thinks about certain issues or how she would rule. Um, so she has been perfectly appropriate. And the notion that she was not being forthcoming or that she was just refusing to answer questions or, you know, they, um, many of the senators kept expressing concerns like you won't even say what you think about global warming or, you, which it doesn't matter. And that, I mean, it just, it absolutely doesn't matter. And she was perfectly right to not do that. And the fact that they would even ask her to do that really makes me wonder what they believe the judiciary's role is, and it raises significant concerns. Um, but now uh, they did mention the fact that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did in her hearing, she, she talked about the abortion issue, but what they didn't mention is she had written very extensively on the abortion issue. So while Amy Coney Barrett, uh, and she said in her role as a private citizen before she was acting in a public capacity, she did exercise her First Amendment rights of speech that were based on her First Amendment rights of her freedom of religion and her deeply held religious beliefs. 
but she didn't do a lot of writing on the issue of abortion, where Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote extensively on the issue of abortion. So it was appropriate for her to comment on, just as it, on what she had written herself, just as it was appropriate for Judge Barrett to comment on what she had written herself, but not to give those hints, previews, and uh, to give a sense of how she would vote on certain issues. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to that, can you talk about um, how Amy Coney Barrett mentioned that there are issues that are still controversial and that the American people are, you know, fleshing out, but there are also issues that have been um, ruled on that are not controversial and that are, you know, it's like a general consensus is that we agree with that ruling. Um, Can you talk about the difference there and why she was able to share her opinion on some but not others? Sure. Well, she was able to comment on what she has written, what she has specifically said. Um, I think you're referring to the notion of super precedent, which she mentioned, and mm-hmm. she was able to comment on that in the context of what that was, she had written. Was Go that ahead. in reference to Roe? Sorry. That was that's right. to Roe, right? That's right. And of course, the, the senators were trying to get her to say, yeah. well, you don't believe that Roe is super precedent. Yeah. And she even said, well, it depends on how you define it. And that was frustrating for Senator Klobuchar because she said, I'm not sitting where I thought one day I might be sitting where you are, but I'm not. I'm sitting up here. But um, but Justice Barrett said it, the notion of super precedent is defined diff- differently by different scholars. And she she was talking about a specific writing where she talked about super precedent uh, and in that writing, she was using the definition as, and I'm probably bungling it terribly, but just to really simplify those cases that really there's kind of a, a social consensus, nobody's calling for the repeal of, yeah. of or for, for certain cases to be overturned, like Brown versus Board of Education. Now, Roe isn't one of those. And that doesn't mean that's not a substantive evaluation that she is saying or that any of the scholars who would say that Roe is not a super precedent are saying that it needs to be overturned. They're just saying there are people who believe it should be overturned. So there's not a consensus. So again, the, um, it's so important when you're evaluating a judicial candidate that you're evaluating their skill in applying constitutional knowledge of the Constitution to a specific set of facts and how they might personally believe about an issue should be completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, and kind of touching on that whole, you know, activism court ideal that, that the Democrats are trying to really push on. One of the biggest scandals that happened during the hearing was Judge Barrett used the term sexual preference when referring to a person's sexual orientation. And we've seen this controversy a lot when senators craft legislation, how they use terms. And then the Supreme Court has to try on how they're going to interpret the wording of the specific piece of legislation. Um, So what happened was it's this moving target. So I think it was an article in the Guardian a couple, I don't know if it was a year ago or a couple months ago, they actually used the term sexual preference and it was fine. But mm-hmm. then Amy Coney Barrett used it and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's discriminatory. So overnight, a, a reporter from MSNBC tweeted this out that it was discriminatory because it implies that a person chooses their sexual orientation. And then overnight, Miriam Webster Dictionary added the term offensive to the actual like definition of the word. So can you talk about why this political act was silly and, and why did it even become such a big deal in this hearing? 
Well, I think this was an effort. Clearly, you know, we've seen what Democrats do not want Amy Coney Barrett confirmed to the Supreme Court. They just don't. And like you said, this was the scandal, I use quotes, that came up because they, they couldn't use the normal attacks. They couldn't attack her for being racist because she has a multiracial family. They couldn't attack her for being who knows, sexist or yeah, sexual predator, even though I, um, that was that issue came up, which I was actually kind of happy that Senator, uh, yeah, that at least um, Senator Hirono was consistent in her, yes. uh, in asking that question. But so I think they had to invent a scandal and this is what we see a lot. It's unfortunate, but I, I think it's the liberal thought police weaponizing language to insinuate that if, if you hold certain views, you must be, you must be bigoted in some regard. So they had to use some, a, a term that you're right has been perfectly acceptable. Um, I saw um, an interview last night where I, someone was mentioning that even the Advocate, which is a, a, a publication for gays, I think it's considered one of the seminal publications mm -hmm. for homosexual for the homosexual community has used the term sexual preference. So it's been, Joe Biden has used the term. I mean, it's just, it's been used ubiquitously, but there had to be this effort to weaponize language in order to depict Amy Coney Barrett as a bigot, when really, again, it doesn't matter because if, there, if the court is considering language, I mean, if the issue before the court is language dealing with people who have a sexual orientation, those are terms that need to be defined by the legislatures, not the courts. So again, this is a manufactured scandal and it really is more revealing of how the liberals on the Senate Judiciary Committee view the judiciary than it was about how Amy Coney Barrett feels or whether or not she'd be able to decide those cases justly. Yeah, I just wanna make one correction. It was an article in the Atlantic, not the Guardian. And yeah, you're totally right, Colleen. You know, when Senator Graham came on, for his opening remarks, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he said, this, this, this vote is already decided. All the Republicans are gonna vote yes, all the Democrats are going to vote no. And that's just such a wrong mentality to come into a Supreme Court hearing. It's just so partisan, it's sad. It is, it's really a shame. And when I had the privilege of being in, in DC and doing the job that you all are doing so well now, that wasn't the case. It was not the case. You know, if you look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'm not remembering the exact vote, but it there were, in fact, I think it was only yeah. three Republicans out of, I think it was 47 that voted against her. And, the, and there was very significant um, disagreement, you know, between her, them and her politically, but, but they understood that she was a qualified jurist and that's really all that mattered. So you're right. It, should, it traditionally has not been a politicized exercise of the advise and consent uh, function of the Senate, but it just is now. That's just where we are now. And it really is kind of sad. Mm -hmm. So now the hearings are over. Um, I learned that they are planning a vote on October 22nd. Which is Tabitha's birthday. <laughs> that would be the perfect birthday gift. Yeah, we'll have to work on getting you a good, yeah. <laughs> I'll get those candles and make a good wish for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get you that shirt that you want that says notorious ACB. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what what's it going to look like in in your prediction between now and then the vote? Um, what what can we expect over the next couple weeks? 
Well, I don't mean for this to be a shameless plug for Eagle Forum, but really it should be. Now is the time that we need the grassroots to take action. And because of, and again, I'm so thankful for the work that you ladies do. It's so hard for people who are living their daily lives and taking care of their kids and working to, to have the time to keep up with, to watch the hearings, to keep up with the shenanigans that we'll certainly see. There will be shenanigans. Of course, the Democrats are going to try to delay the vote. They're going to say that they haven't had enough time to evaluate uh, Judge Barrett, which is, you, you know, as we saw, we know that this is a predetermined outcome. So we know that these are not, um, these aren't good faith arguments. And to add to that, she was just confirmed to the Seventh Circuit in 2017. Exactly. She was already confirmed. I mean, this is essentially an update of the yeah. Senate's review of her uh, fitness to be a judge. Not only that, but this is not new. The fact that it, we've known since 2016 that she was very likely to be nominated for the Supreme mm -hmm. Court because President Trump uh, put her name on a list. And uh, so Democrats have had ample opportunity to, to review her her record. But what we need now is for, for those of you who are listening to let your senators know how important it is to confirm Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. And I think universally people across the political spectrum have seen that this is a woman who is not only eminently qualified, really is a credit to our judicial system. She's someone who, um, that we need to have confirmed. Um, so please let your senators know that it's very important to you that this vote not be delayed and that they vote to confirm Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, watch, if you're not signed up for the Eagle Forum alerts already, please get signed up because these lovely ladies are watching all of the arguments and all of the, um, the talking points that you'll need uh, to try to combat lies or shenanigans. Uh, but it's so important that your senators hear from you. You know, after the, uh, the Judge Kavanaugh hearings, um, the, and we remember how utterly contentious those were, but three senator, three Democrat senators lost their seats largely on the basis of that whole vote. So it, um, people think that, uh, that the judicial confirmation process doesn't have political consequences. It really does. So your senators need to know how you feel. It is so important. And this is the time when you can make a difference. So I urge yeah. everybody get in touch with your senators. And we do all the hard work for you. We will write out the template for you. You literally enter your name, your zip code, and they figure out who your senator is and it gets shipped right to them. That's so right. We will let you know exactly yeah. what the arguments are and what you what you need to tell your senators. Yeah. So make sure you have liked us on Facebook, you follow us on Twitter, and even on Instagram if you want. But then you're also signed up for our email list so you get those timely legislative action alerts straight sent to your inbox so that you can re respond right away. Because a lot of times we don't have a big turnaround because we hear about it. Ooh, the vote's going to be in two days. This time we do. We have a little bit longer. Make sure you're you're keeping on tabs on everything that's going on in DC through us. That's right. And I would just add, Kirsten, um, you all do such a great job of outlining what the what the issues are. And it, it, because it's again, it's just so hard for people to have to do the original research to know what you know, really how to articulate uh, what the senators need to hear. We give you that information. We urge you to email your senators, but it's so important to go see them, call them. Go, you don't have to go to DC. We have the ladies here in DC who can go visit. If you can, certainly do it. But find out where your local offices are. When senators see constituents showing up at their local office, they really pay attention. And you as constituents have a lot of power and we need you to exercise it. 
Yeah. yeah. One thing you mentioned, Colleen, but that I kind of would like you to touch a little bit more on is the importance of getting Amy Coney Barrett confirmed before the, um, the election and quickly. So how do we respond to the pushback from the liberals and the Democrats in the Senate and even in the media saying that it's too soon, that we need to wait until after the election to confirm a nominee? Well, yeah, that's right. Of course, that's what they're going to say, as I mentioned. Um, and we'll be putting out a list. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, and I certainly don't have it memorized. But of the number of days that it's taken to confirm certain justices, so there is nothing inappropriate about this process. It's, it's a matter of the Democrats not wanting Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. Um, this is not being rammed through again. This is a, this, she is not an unknown quantity. She's not an untested quantity. She's someone who has not only proved, uh, proved herself to be imminently qualified um, during these hearings throughout this week, uh, her record, she has an extensive record and the Senate senators on the Judiciary Committee have had the opportunity to review her record through this, these hearings and the confirmation hearings that were held just three years ago. And we've known that she is going to be, that it was extremely likely that she would be nominated for four years now. So she, you know, if Democrats are saying they haven't had a proper opportunity to, to vet her uh, for confirmation, it's just disingenuous. Yeah, I agree. I, so, you know, I would like to share some of my thoughts as, you know, putting politics aside, but just as a woman and as a mom, um, Amy Coney Barrett's nomination and process it, is really important to me. And, and I think what's so special about this whole thing is that she is a woman of faith, just like I am. She has a career. Um, she has seven children. I don't have seven children, but um, yeah. Yeah. I totally identify with her in those regards. And, you know, I hear the feminist rhetoric uh, that you can't have a successful career if you have children. And it's, it's just not true. And you see that embodied in Amy Coney Barrett and not to mention the degradation of conservative women. We're kind of, we're, we're left out of the loop when it comes to feminism because we have a different thought process and a different agenda. And um, I just keep remembering the statement that Hillary Clinton made that said that women who voted for Trump were forced by their husbands or fathers. And that's so ridiculous, especially in my case where my husband has very different political views than I do. So he got a big kick out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but Amy Coney Barrett is, is someone I would want my children to look up to because of her accomplishments and her character. Um, she said some things on Wednesday that I mulled over myself with my job in the political sector. On Wednesday, Senator Tillis asked why she was willing to go through this whole process. And she had mentioned that one of her sons got upset with the whole questioning process. You know, I, I can't imagine watching your mom uh, go through that and, and answer some really tough questions or being her being accused of things that she just isn't. And um, so he had to leave the room with, with his dad. And um, she said, you know, my children would be a great excuse not to go through this process. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they were the reason she's going through this process to protect their institutions and the rule of law. And we can all agree that we aren't in this for the money or the fame, but to make our nations 
our nation and our communities better now and for future generations. And that's why I do a lot of the work that I do is, is for my son and for my future children and, and his family. Um, it, it, it really puts things into perspective. And I've just really enjoyed this moment in history. There aren't a lot of people that I can get behind 100%, but I am behind her all the way. And so this is why it's so important. This is, like, I will be an activist for Amy Coney Barrett, um, you know, until she gets confirmed because I'm, I'm all in for her. I think you express a lot of conservative women's uh, perspective, Tabitha. I think that's the motivation. And, you know, Eagle Form is made up of a lot of activist mothers. And there's nothing like having a child to really drive you in creating a better and safer and more free place to live. So it is really cool to see her on the bench, hopefully, representing our values. It is. You're right. I think this really is a historic moment, as uh, I thought Senator Graham emphasized so beautifully. It is because as conservatives or just as women in general, uh, feminist uh, theory really teaches that marriage and motherhood are impediments to success. Yeah. And I know that's something that, that Phyllis and Eagle Forum really fought against. And so many people misinterpret, you know, we've just been through Mrs. America and have seen how Phyllis's teachings and her advocacy has gotten misinterpreted to say that uh, that because Phyllis took a stand and was a an advocate for homemakers that she thought that that was the only role a woman could fulfill and now you know of course that wasn't true um, and now to see so you're right to see a woman who has so thoroughly embraced marriage and motherhood um, even I mean beyond what a lot of us think we can handle and to not only succeed in her career, but to succeed in a way that she has, that has really, uh, has really elevated the standard is so exciting, so incredible. And I think it is so, it's just really inspiring. She is right. I mean, and whether our, our daughters are a mother like she is or an attorney like she is or do it all like she does, it just is really, really refreshing to have a woman who, um, who we can see and can point to as a role model for our daughters. Yeah. So, and relate to. I think that's the biggest thing. You can actually relate to her. Yeah. She is very relatable and she's just so graceful too. And to see that an absence of an attitude or really to see that grace and to see absence of ego, really. I mean, she was incredibly humble and to see the absence of, um, there's no chip on her shoulder. There's no victim behavior. And I even, I loved the way she uh, responded to, um, I think it was Senator Coons talking about her being in the Scalia mold as if she were sharing a brain with Justice Scalia, which <laughs> although he has a big enough brain to, for probably many people, he, you know, she, she certainly doesn't. And she said so gracefully, well, I hope you're not insinuating that I'd I don't have my own mind or my own, you know, I won't be making my own decisions. And she just said that so gracefully when that could have been a really, uh, she, she might've been justified in saying it a little more powerfully, but she yeah. just said it, she didn't need to. So yeah. I think I my sarcasm would have gone, gone in the way there. Oh, I know, I know. I think a lot of us were making the faces and making the comments that she might like to have made, but had the grace not to do it, so. yeah. Thank you, Amy Coney Barrett. <laughs> Thank you so much, Colleen, for joining us today. We 
have had a lot of these conversations internally, so it has certainly been fun bringing this to our listeners. For those listening to this episode, please be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave us a review. You can find us on all the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.